Hello and welcome back to The Current. I'm your host, Nadia Last. It feels so good to be back behind the microphone and I really am so thrilled and excited to continue investing in this creative outlet and in this project, in this podcast over the coming months. And starting with today's episode, it's such a special, special episode. It's so close to my heart. I'm bringing on two people that I just admire so deeply. The first person that I'm interviewing today is someone who's been on the podcast before. Her name is Claire, and she was on episode 13 talking about psychedelic therapy. She's on again talking even more about her path into this work. And her co-facilitator, Nick, is also on the podcast today, and this is his first time on. And Nick has so much embodied wisdom to share about how to work with psychedelics, what to even expect from different plant medicines. Claire and Nick's stories about getting into this work is so synchronistic. It's all about trusting the universe and the subtle nudges that you're receiving. I think it's really cool that we're talking about psychedelics and going even deeper today because there's so much value if you are being called into this type of work. Psychedelics are a very hot topic right now. We talk a little bit in this interview today about Michael Pollan's Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind, which is based on his book. And so many people in my life have been watching How to Change Your Mind. And it's so exciting to me because it's starting to get into the collective conversation in a way that isn't striking as much fear, but instead a little bit more curiosity. And what I hope is that psychedelics become more part of our mainstream but that we also learn to treat them with reverence and respect and intention. So many of you listening have likely taken psychedelics recreationally, but a big focus of our conversation today is how do you use psychedelics in a way that you can go inward and actually really understand what's available for you to heal and grow and interrupt the patterns that you're here to interrupt. The word psychedelic It's actually really cool. The first part, psyche, means mind or soul. And the second part, delic, means illuminating or to make visible. So together, psychedelic literally means soul illuminating or mind manifesting. These plant medicines are designed to go inward, to have a transformative, sometimes even spiritual experience to go beyond the surface of what is available in our normal reality and understand how much more interconnected we all are. I often feel when I'm in a psychedelic experience that my heart is expanded, that I'm reconnected to love, which is you know, the energy that flows through our universe. So for me personally in my practice, I will go into a psychedelic ceremony when I feel like my heart has been hardened in some way, or I'm finding it more difficult to connect with and empathize with the people in my life. And I found it to be an instrumental tool as I'm continuing to grow my one-on-one coaching practice. And as I'm a therapist trainee and working in school settings, meaning I will go into a private psychedelic experience in my time away and, and reconnect to my heart and reconnect to What is it that I'm here to do? How do I want to measure my life? What kind of daughter do I want to be? What kind of sibling do I want to be? What kind of partner do I want to be? 
And then that bleeds over into my work and what kind of practitioner and facilitator that I want to be. So psychedelics have very easily become a really critical part of my ongoing spiritual practice and something I'll go through seasons where I feel called to a few plant medicine ceremonies. And then I'll go through seasons like where I am right now, where I'm not called to them at all. And so just dropping into your body and recognizing, do I feel this flow of curiosity around plant medicines right now? Or is it more of a passive curiosity? Like I'm going to listen to this episode and just learn more. Or do I feel in my body? That's just not for me. It's interesting. I have this analogy of knowing in my body that I'm not going to get a tattoo in this lifetime. And I don't know where that knowing emanates from, but it's a very clear knowing. Whereas I have many people in my life who are like, hey, I'll get a tattoo if it's the right occasion. And then I know others who are like, I always knew that I was going to get a tattoo on my body. That's a great example of how like the differing sort of spectrum here and trusting your inner guidance system, trusting your inner compass. But personally, from my experience, I find psychedelics so helpful because it continues to illuminate my inner guidance system. So without further ado, I am so honored and thrilled to introduce Claire and Nick. Here we go. Claire, Nick, it is truly a joy and a delight to see your smiling faces across from me to have you on the podcast. I have felt so energized by the prospect of having this conversation to talk about psychedelic therapy and the healing properties of plant medicine. And it comes at such a synchronistic time because Michael Pollan just released his documentary on Netflix, How to Change Your Mind. I've had so many people in my orbit talking about this, and I feel like people are opening themselves up to psychedelics, which is really, really cool. So I would love to start with just how how you got into this work. And actually, I'm going to pass the baton first to Nick, because Nick, this is your first time on the show. This is Claire. Claire's returning. Mm. Um, and Nick, I just want to know from you, what was your story getting into psychedelic work? Well, I was an ER nurse for 10 years, and I found myself um, pretty burnt out. After 10 years of uh, serving in the ER, there was some really beautiful, wonderful parts of that work. Um, we were really exhausted and I was searching for other ways to be a nurse. And I worked at San Quentin Prison for a while. I worked in hospice for a little while. And I think I was searching for something that just felt resonant and that like was you know, the work that I wanted to offer. And I kind of accidentally ended up working in a clinic where they were doing ketamine infusions for people who had severe uh, depression. So these are folks who have tried talk therapy and they have tried uh, SSRIs, antidepressants, and both um, were unsuccessful and they are still having suicidal ideation. So in this clinic, we do these 40-minute IV infusions of ketamine and I was watching people's turnarounds. I was watching them have these massive breakthroughs um, and, you know, reporting things like well, it's not like every day is perfect, but I'm able to go back to work and I'm able to, you know, socialize again and I'm able to play with my kids and uh, really like a special bond that would get created with the people that I worked with. And so it was kind of instantly, I was like, oh, here it is. Like, this is what I've been looking for. And it was around that time that Michael Pollan's book came out, How to Change Your Mind. And 
I learned in that book that this program existed at uh, CIS, the Center for Integral Studies in San Francisco, and they were accepting nurses, doctors, and uh, um, therapists to train in the art and science of guiding these like high dose psychedelic journeys in therapeutic ways. And that's where I met Claire and things kind of launched off from there. And I would just say that from the very beginning, from the very start, it was like a kind of like a falling in love moment where like deeply grounded, knowing that this was the work that I wanted to do in the world and haven't looked back since. I've heard you say before that you wish that you could live a hundred more years to continue doing this work. And that really describe it. Yeah. sticks with me. Yeah. yeah. When you, why does it feel different from anything else that you've done? It feels different because it feels like it's, it's emanating from like my like true self. It's an expression of like who I really am at my core. And so it almost like it doesn't require as much effort um, just because it's so true. Um, I would describe it as like work that I would absolutely do for free. And yeah, like you said, it, there's this feeling that came of like, wow, there's so much to learn here. There's so many ways that I can grow as a person in this work that, yeah, the desire comes to like have 200 more years to just do this. Probably in short, just saying that it feels really aligned. When you shifted from nursing, and I know you, you led adventure trips prior to that, when you mm-hmm. shifted into this line of work, how did the people in your life respond to that? I felt so lucky um, because both of my parents were really supportive. They really saw me as like, they said, yeah, like this is the work for you. And so I didn't have to battle there. I really, I felt like a big wave of like, oh yeah, of course. Everyone was kind of like, yeah, of course. And one other thing I wanted to say is that I think that I had this, this idea beforehand that work was kind of something you did to like survive and not die. And you had to like it enough to like want to show up and, but you didn't have to be like your purpose in life. And I'd accepted that. I thought it like work could be something that you just did and then had enough time to do other things you liked in your life. And um, I feel like a total convert. Like it is actually possible to find work that is really what you're supposed to be doing. I feel a surge of emotion around that (laughs) for for you and for everybody listening, because it's it feels like such a deep human yearning for something deeper, more meaningful, more purposeful. And I think it's really cool that you had exactly the experience that you needed to get into this program that feels so synchronistic. Yeah. Nick, we'll come back to your story, but Claire, I want to hear from you. How did you get into this work? So I shared this on a previous podcast, but um, I have had a psychotherapy practice for many years in San Francisco and was doing that work and loving it and loving my clients and um, actually had felt like I found my calling and just out of curiosity at one point, this was probably about seven or eight years ago, I had a friend invite me into an ayahuasca circle and I had never, ever done a psychedelic in my entire life. Hadn't even actually even felt curious about them. Um, I think I was like, whoa, that's like for festivals and just, you know, Um, I can't even imagine feeling that out of control, but uh, this particular circle was being led by a group of people with a lot of like spiritual intention. And I was just kind of at that moment in my life where I was doing some deeper seeking. And so went and sat with this very good friend of mine and long story short, 
had one of the most profound experiences of my life and came away going like, oh my gosh, how do people not know about this? You know, uh, what's available is so vast and really like changed me and transformed me in a way that I couldn't imagine having happened in any other way. Um, so hard to explain what those experiences are like. We often say they're very ineffable, meaning there are no words for this. And truly that of the psychedelic experiences I've had since remains that way for me. Like I think of it often, probably at least once a week, I reference that. And it feels like this really deep um, acknowledgement and like knowing came in that I that I'm on the right path, that I'm doing the right work, that things are about to get bigger and a lot more fun. And that I just need to keep going and I have tons of support behind me for that. And so in that vein, you know, several other things kind of unfolded in my life after that. I ended up getting divorced and being on another journey in my life and then stumbled into this program at CIIS at the same time that Nick did. It was interesting. We chose to seek that out at the same time. And it was going into the pandemic. We didn't know that that was on the horizon, we we began there at the beginning of 2020. So I feel like really interesting timing. Uh, we actually met one time in person and then everything got shut down. And we did this like deep study for a year. We're super fortunate. I can't believe that somehow I got put in this body in this lifetime in this place geographically. Our teachers, uh, Nick and I, are all of the people that are in the docuseries if you've watched on Netflix, which is so cool. Like we know those folks, we've been able to learn from them. Yeah, we just have such an abundance of resources and support here around this sort of tradition being passed down to our generation. Yeah, it's really, really an exciting time to be a therapist, to be a healer, to be a nurse doing this work, to be a researcher. I feel incredibly fortunate that more people are going to have access to uh, psychedelic work, knowing themselves in this way, to um, knowing the earth in this way, to knowing other people in this way. It's like an incredible gift. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of an amazing journey. And I um, love how so much of this has unfolded really synchronistically Nick and I met and I was like, we need to go learn how to do this. So I called up the folks in Jamaica at Myco Meditations and I was like, I want to come train here. And they said yes. So I was like, also, I know this really great person, Nick, can he come too? They were like, yes. <laughs> so then we found ourselves at the end of 2020 down in Jamaica, um, getting to work on psilocybin retreats there and um, have done more training with them. And it's been an incredible way to learn how to sit for people in psychedelic settings and to get to really work with them in a deep way. So in addition to my psychotherapy practice, we get to do this and also, you know, working here in the States with ketamine. Amazing time to be alive. I love that you two joined this program at the same time, right before the pandemic. It just all feels very synchronistic. Claire, something that stands out to me about your story is that you didn't explore psychedelics recreationally. And so I just want to kind of ground that in for somebody listening who has maybe never done psychedelics before. And I know you said that the experience is ineffable, great word, can't be, you know, put into words. But if you were to try to like make Claire, the younger version of you feel comfortable, what would you say to her 
as she was going into this ayahuasca ceremony. My gosh, I think about myself then. I'm like, you were totally insane. I don't know (laughs) what I was thinking. I went zero. I say I went zero to ayahuasca and (laughs) didn't track anything along the way. But I had a deep trust that I would really be okay. I think knowing the people, the friend who had invited me really trusted her deeply. Um, I felt like the setting was going to be really safe. It was held by people that I really trusted. Yeah. And I went and read a lot about it ahead of time and kind of did some, you know, research that informed me that like, I, w- I really would be okay. I would come back from this. So yeah, I, in that vein, I kind of jumped in and I think I would tell my younger self, like your intuition and your trust that you're on the right path is correct. Awesome. And Nick, I wonder if you're coming maybe from the opposite perspective. Uh, in your life experiences, having maybe tried psychedelics recreationally and then moved it into more of these sort of like ceremonial settings. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I definitely started experimenting as early as high school and a few times in college. And it was always kind of like walks in the woods with friends and we turned it into a little bit of an event, maybe a tiny ceremony. But my first time was very unceremonious took them on a walk at night, had to be back by curfew and the mushrooms hadn't kicked in yet. And I was in the car and I suddenly like the dashboard looked like a spaceship and I drove a 10 minute drive home and had a solo journey in my, in my room at like eight, you know, 17 years old. Oh my God. <laughs> it was really wonderful. I remember learning a lot about myself in that, in that journey, but yeah, to answer your question, um, recreational kind of, turned into a kind of like, wait, there's something more here. Like there's actually, there's a greater capability with this than just recreational. And a lot of people that I've worked with kind of express the same. They're like, wait a second. I've had some really beautiful experiences here, but what would this be like if it was held in a container with guidance, um, with like really proper preparation work and some really expert integration afterwards? Um, like what, what's possible in that, in that sense. Yeah. yeah. And I want to hear about that. And I also want to name that there is likely a bucket of folks who have had recreational experiences that have not been as positive. The, mm-hmm. the dreaded quote unquote, bad trip of, mm-hmm. you know, taking psychedelics with a group of friends or, or at a big music festival and feeling completely overwhelmed and, mm-hmm. and stuck in a thought pattern. So mm-hmm. um, those folks are very welcomed into this conversation as well. And I think the bigger question for both of you is what makes a guided journey different? So the main things are set and setting. And if you haven't heard of those terms before, set refers to your mindset going into a journey. So often we might think, oh, I'm taking mushrooms and I'm going to go have fun. That's a mindset. We can also take them and be really curious about ourselves or about our own kind of personal work or healing relationships in, in our family. So these are all choices that we get to make, you know, as we're thinking about how you want to go into a journey. So mindset being really important. And then your setting being the place and the people and the space that you do it in, you know, just elaborate on that a little bit. What that means is making sure that you are, tripping with people that feel really safe to you 
um, that you really trust, that you know have your back, that love you, that care about you, that are there to help you um, if you get into anything hard. And then also to, you know, it's nice to trip in places that are beautiful <laughs> um, on a beach in Jamaica. It's pretty cool. You know, obviously mushrooms pair well with nature. Um, and this is true for all the psychedelics. I wouldn't say just mushrooms, but being in, you know, places that feel safe and um, are kind of healing containers is really important. Yeah. Um, so set and setting, those would be two of the main things. What would you add to that? One differentiation is that I think that the word guide sometimes is uh, not quite the right word, that we're kind of more allowing a process to happen. But where we do do a lot of guidance is in the preparation um, and in the integration. So we, in the preparation phase, have a whole period where we learn a lot about the person and we develop a feeling of trust and really assess if that trust is there. And we also do a period of teaching where we do a little bit of guidance for how, how to encounter the moments that might feel challenging or difficult. And that can be really, really useful. And we always say that like, there's no, no bad trips. Like there actually is no such thing as a bad trip because often the, the challenging emotions that arise are exactly the ones that we have been uh, not willing to feel in the past. And so when those arise, the guide's kind of reaction to that is like, great, here it is. Like, here's the, here's the juice. But that takes a little bit of, um, I think, education to learn how to approach it in that way. One of Claire and I's favorite terms that we've learned from Bill Richards, who's on that Netflix documentary, is, is the phrase in and through. So it's always, always towards everything that arises, whether that's something joyful and blissful, expand it, go towards it. Um, but equally for something that's challenging or difficult to like actually go right into that and see what happens on the other end of it. So those are some examples of like how guidance can be really important and um, useful beforehand. And then also after the experience is over, there can be a lot of questions that come up around like, okay, a lot of things were exposed to me, but what do I actually do with that information? How do I make sense of it? How do I use that and turn the awareness into actual actions in my life? And so there's some like real guidance that can happen there. Yeah. And I also want to add outside of just taking action in, in your life, it's also, I feel like integration is, can you make sense of it? Can you integrate mm -hmm. that experience into the fabric of your understanding of your life and your mm -hmm. relationships? So sometimes it's more just expanded awareness versus yeah. taking big leaps in your life. Right. Yeah. There's also something that seems really important about like just normalizing people's experience because it can feel really big, you know, like you can gain awareness to a lot of things like what some people might call the collective unconscious. And that can be really overwhelming and to have it feel normalized afterwards is really, really useful. And again, like we're never, the reason I think guidance is not always the right word is that we're not telling people what to do. There isn't a like, okay, now you're going to do this and then you're going to do that. I think that's like one of the biggest misconceptions that I've seen is that people assume that uh, a guided journey is kind of like a guided meditation, like that we're there saying, okay, now breathe or can now do this. And actually once the, the, the medicine journey starts, we kind of step into the role of surrendering just like the person taking the medicine is and we're following, following everything that, that arises. And I'd say that there's a 
piece of that in the integration process as well. We're not saying, okay, now, now do this and now do that. We're kind of following, okay, what's, what's coming up for you? Like what's, what's evolving um, after an experience like this? I would love for you two to talk about what's the difference between an individual journey that you're being sat with someone, maybe not guided, but uh, you're sitting with a guide versus the group experience. There is such a medicine in a group experience. When I think about this, I get really excited because I I feel like I want to tell everybody what amazing power groups hold. I find a lot of people when they're thinking about having a psychedelic experience are like, oh no, groups, you know, mm-hmm. I've had such traumatizing experiences in groups in my life, or like I hated summer camp or you know, um, I can't imagine being that vulnerable in front of so many people. And then, you know, what Nick and I have learned from getting to sit with groups is that there is this amazing ability to see yourself in other people that is so deeply healing. There is an alchemy that is very difficult to describe that happens when you are sitting in a circle. And I think about how these medicines were actually done hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago was so often in groups. And I think there was a real reason for that. There is a way that we're kind of sitting in kind of this collective unconscious together. And uh, there are no accidents to like who shows up on retreat at the same time. I'm always like amazed that I get to see kind of how people's stories touch on each other and that people who maybe would show up from like really diverse walks of life end up feeling so close and so seen, you know, by other people um, in this really transformative way that really stays with them. Like there's something about being known in that way and then also getting to go out in the world um, back into your daily life and have people holding your stories and holding this like deep love for you um, that I think is a really powerful part of integration too. So um, I have been amazed by getting to see how groups work and uh, continue to preach that to people that there's something really, really cool available there. What would you add to that, Nick? Similar to Claire, there's almost like I feel a little evangelical about it because like Claire said, it makes so much sense to me that people, you know, going into a space like this that could potentially be very vulnerable or sharing things about yourself that are really deep. You just want to do that in private. That makes so much sense to me. But what we've observed, yeah, is that if you have the willingness or courage to come be part of a group, that when you share your experience, there are so many people who resonate with what you experienced, whether that was something really blissful and beautiful and opening or something really challenging and difficult and to be held and to be seen by other people who get it is as important as the medicine experience. The other thing is that the power of taking, whether it's like a four day retreat or a six day retreat and just marking that time just for yourself and really giving yourself the space to, to allow your experience to sink in is also so important. It's so different than having a one-day experience with a guide and then the next day being back to your life where everything comes right back on board and it's hard to, that becomes really hard to integrate. Um, so on these retreats, there are entire days dedicated to sharing as a group but then also having lots of, you know, open free time to yourself to use however you want journaling 
meditation, movement, swimming, play. We're really big on the importance of like actually having some fun while you're out there and connecting to people. So yeah, I, I really believe in that the act of creating a space for yourself where the journey can have its greatest effect. And we see it all the time that insights will come in the, the time between the journeys, not necessarily in, in the journey itself. And that's really a function of, of having created that space. Um, and like Claire said a little bit too, like the, the experience of having a big, big experience like that, and then going back into a world where no one understands what happened for you can make you feel kind of isolated and alone. And if you're part of a retreat, the, the, the camaraderie that forms in that experience where people have seen you and you've seen them, all of our groups do these, these integration uh, Zoom meetups where they'll meet like once a month afterwards. And it's really, really healing and a really, really big part of the entire process. Yeah. And they're often self-let. These, these people yes. have met yeah. each other and they're like, we have to stay connected because, you know, I've seen you, you've seen me. And I think yeah. it's really cool that psychedelics get us to explore the depth of our own human psyche. and. That's what mm-hmm. I really come away from these experiences real, realizing is that every person has such a deep vein of truth available to mm-hmm. them that mm-hmm. psychedelic mm-hmm. medicine is just allowing them to tap into, but it's available to each of us every single moment. And I'd love mm-hmm. for you you two to talk about, um, I guess we could use the term neuroplasticity if we want to get scientific with it, but psychedelics, I guess, you, you talk about the medicine working in your system for a while after. And what is it working? What is it allowing you to, to um, how, how is it different than just living your life as you are currently living it with the thought patterns that you have? There is a thing that you might've heard about called the default mode network, which is this essentially areas of the brain that are, they think are responsible for this idea of the concept of yourself, of awareness of self. And that's maybe another way of describing what the ego is. And the ego is great. The ego is what we uh, have developed to make sure that we can exist in the world, that we can relate to other people, that we can get tasks done, that we can feel safe in the world. And that is all super important. But it kind of ends up having us believe that that is who we are, is this collection of our behaviors and how we show up. And that identify, identification with the ego, you know, like your job, um, your status socially um, is who you are. But what the mushrooms are so gifted at is disintegrating that default mode network or the ego so that what you gain access to is like what we would just call your true self. Claire and I have seen it a lot. There's this kind of expression that Claire taught me of, of like, Oh, there you are. It's like, it's like something emerges of like, Oh, like there you are in your true actual essence. And to see it is this like, it's kind of obvious. It's like there's a, there's a kind of a peace or a calm that can come. There's an, a real feeling of acceptance, compassion, connectedness. And I want to be careful not to preach that that is exactly the result of all psychedelic journeys. It can, there can be a lot of steps to get there. Um, it's also not something to, to cling to, you know, if you reach that state, but having the experience of, of 
gaining access to that can be a really important just knowing that that's possible and that there are ways to live from that place. And then integration kind of becomes like, okay, how do I want to continue to access that without medicine? So I think that I answered the question partially. <laughs> Maybe Absolutely. Claire, can you yeah, add Claire, what would you add? Yeah. A piece that is, I think Nick described that so well. And I love when you think about the default mode network, one of the other things that it manages is thoughts that we have about ourselves or about the world, like kind of those deeper, you know, belief systems, you know, about what's happening, who we are here. And one of the things I think psychedelics does really well is it sort of, you know, if you imagine that those um, thoughts are kind of running down all of these different paths in the snow, Nick used this analogy once, I really loved it, that, you know, they're kind of like paths that are carved in the snow and maybe those thoughts are running down um, that a psychedelic journey can kind of lay a fresh blanket of snow over that and gives you the opportunity to be able to carve new pathways. Um, so much we believe of the journey is not the actual taking of the medicine, but everything that happens leading up to it and in between and in integration and even like years afterwards. And all of those are opportunities to continue like carving those paths, you know, to kind of lay new foundations for what you want to believe about yourself and about what's possible and about what's happening for you in your life. We get to do that intentionally. So psychedelics can kind of give you that opportunity to be intentional about what you want to have happening in your brain going forward. So I just love that analogy of like getting a fresh layer of snow. You get to work with that. Totally. I love that you two answered it perfectly. And that's where I was kind of leading to in a um, roundabout way. And I think to reinforce this concept of group work and why it's so impactful is that as you're kind of pulling apart your concept of self and, and stretching into new identity and coming back to your true capital S self, it's so cool to have relationships, these new relationships that are kind of reinforcing this self-exploration um, that aren't necessarily the relationships that you have in your life. And it, I feel like mm -hmm. it just adds, I've witnessed people have a little bit of a protective layer around mm -hmm. exploring different facets of identity, which is really cool. And I want to talk a bit about the medicines specifically. You two work a lot with ketamine and psilocybin in legal settings. And I'd love to create a bit of space for each of them and how you would describe them. And I'd love to start with ketamine. And I'll just start by saying that I had a lot of judgment around ketamine because Me I've had too. friends <laughs> use it recreationally. And I, I have been so weirded out by the way that it's used. And, and I've heard people talk about the the dreaded K-hole, kind of like a bad trip of, of getting kind of strung out on this medicine and I had a, I sat with ketamine a few times over the past couple months and I am shook to my core at the fact that I think it's my favorite psychedelic now. Mm -hmm. So for somebody who's coming into just touching into what ketamine is, how would you describe the medicine to them? I used to, similarly, I used to laugh. I was like, oh, ketamine's the little stepsister of the psychedelics, like whatever, she's in the background. And then I actually went and got deeper training since we have, you know, legal access to that here. And as Nick said earlier, like it's been so helpful for people with treatment resistant depression. Um, and I've seen that be true time and time again. 
And I was like, oh no, like when I sat with it myself, I'm like, this is like ketamine is its own, it is its own power. And mm. what I think it's really good at um, is it is a really helpful nervous system reset. Mm-hmm. Um, it works very quickly as a fast acting antidepressant and really allows people to sort of like do a fast clearing of like debris that's in the way um, mm. that allows them to get, you know, clearer, faster access to like that moment of, oh, there I am, you know, Mm. Uh, what else I love about it is it's a very short journey. It is, Mm. you know, about an hour and um, there, it's a very safe medicine. There are like very few side effects with it. Most people tolerate it really well. And you can be on SSRIs when you take it because it's actually working on the glutamate system in your brain, not on your serotonin system. So um, it's really helpful in balancing out that excitatory and inhibitory part of the brain. So you could just like really quickly can kind of reach an equilibrium with it that um, allows you to manage daily life a little bit more easily. I think part of my prejudice was the fact that it wasn't like plant. It wasn't a plant, you know, when I was initially providing these IV experiences for people um, at Kaiser. Um, in a hospital setting, I hadn't experienced ketamine before, so I had no idea what people were actually experiencing. Then I started working at a clinic, uh, the Polaris Insight Center in San Francisco. They do intramuscular ketamine injections as part of a um, psychotherapy appointment. So you have a therapist there with you, and I'm the nurse that administers the ketamine. But um, as part of their onboarding process, they wanted all their practitioners to actually have experienced the medicine, which I is such a great policy because I had uh, a session with them and immediately realized, like Claire said, like, oh, this is like a real, this is a real thing. This is not just like a stepsister to other psychedelics. Had a really profound experience and that really dramatically changed how I showed up for people in the hospital and then forward in in all ketamine settings. the other great thing about working for Polaris is that they offered us their uh, full, you know, multi-module training program. So we've been pretty extensively trained in how to work um, therapeutically with ketamine. And yeah, I'd say a lot of the same things that Claire said. A really, really beautiful reset. Um, often this access, kind of quick access to to our essence and kind of clarification is how I would describe it. Feeling kind of kind of clear. It's also why, you know, if we had it our way, a lot of you know, mushroom journeys would probably be preceded by a ketamine journey to kind of maybe solidify intention or kind of just like start with that kind of nervous system reset. Um, it's like a way of going into an experience like that, which is pretty similar um, to a way a lot of like the underground communities will work with MDMA uh, first prior to mushroom work, sometimes in the same session. But the idea there is that, you know, there's a, there's a feeling of connectedness to self, uh, trust enhancement with your guide, and that you carry those in to the deeper work with, with mushrooms. One thing I'd, I'd point out is that I'd say ketamine is more predictably like kind of like a positive, comfortable experience. Um, not always, but I'd say more often to like bring you towards the things that you did not um, previously want to to feel or experience. And while that is deeply healing, it um, can feel a little harder, a little more challenging. So that's that's a pretty important, notable difference between the two. 
Yeah, I was just going to add that that's what I was so surprised about. It was an hour long and I felt so relaxed in my body. I felt like mm-hmm. it was a rest unlike any I've ever known. It felt like mm-hmm. I could like really sink into my body and I felt like I wasn't thinking perhaps for the first time mm-hmm. in my life. Like there were, there were no <laughs> thoughts. I was truly just feeling and I felt like I was floating above my body and it felt so safe and comfortable and beautiful. And I just felt myself going to each of my family members and giving them a hug without words. Just um, it, it's been a really sweet, beautiful experience. And I hear a little curiosity from, from folks listening around what you just talked about at a high level, this profound experience, Nick. Is there anything you want to share there? about what came through in that first journey. Oh, well, in that first journey, similarly, I you, there's, a, there's a quality to ketamine where you dissociate from your body. So less like you can't feel your body um, and a little bit more like kind of almost like forgetting about the idea of a body um, so that you're just in this consciousness space. And that was such a novel experience. Uh, and what I really remember from the experience is is the tone of voice of the guide that I was with and the fact that she said very little, but I felt really protected energetically by her. And the importance of that energetic boundary um, was really profound. I felt so held and so safe. Um, and that it was an experience in itself almost. And it's one that I really like to carry forward as we work with people. Later on, I was, had an opportunity to do a, a intramuscular ketamine injection. What I was just describing was with a ketamine lozenge. Um, but later did a deeper experience with the injection. And I had an experience that I would describe as, even though it sounds a little strange, coming into contact with the true nature of reality in all of its complexity, um, indescribable complexity. But the feeling that I had was not that it was being revealed to me for the first time. It was the feeling of like, I know all of this intimately, inside and out, and I've always known it. And how on earth did I forget? Like, how did I forget? And it became like kind of clear that it felt like this is where I came from and that's why I know it so well. And it's probably where I'm going to go. But here I am in this human body having a human experience for a little while. And that brought me a lot of comfort. Like, okay, like I'll do human experience for (laughs) for this period of time. And like, wow, cool that I'll get to go back to that place um, at some point. We've also talked to people who, as they're coming back into the body, it's kind of like, a, oh no, like I don't, I don't want to come back into this. Like it feels kind of hard. So we make a lot of room for, for that feeling also. Wow. Mm-hmm. I've heard Ram Das uh, describe psychedelics as I'm home, I'm home, yeah. I'm home, mm-hmm. I'm home. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. euphoria that accompanies, ah, I remember here I am, there I am. And then the reckoning with, and I'm I'm back to this human plane. Claire, I can feel maybe something that you might want to add around that. Is is am I feeling that accurately, or do you feel like Nick covered ketamine well? 
the very first time I ever tried it, I similarly, I think I said out loud to the guy that's sitting with me, I was like, oh my God, this is it? Like, how did I miss this? You know, it similarly felt like a coming home. So super grateful that we get to work with that medicine and um, has been really so helpful for people after the pandemic. I've found so many people who are in burnout and just felt stuck in depression and stuck in grief. You really, really helped by it. I consider it sort of a semi-regular part of my mental and emotional health practice as well. Um, I feel just really this beautiful glow of self-trust for a couple of weeks after I sit in a ketamine journey. So I think that um, psychedelic work can sometimes get pigeonholed into this. Like you have to have a big problem. You have to have something that you're trying to fix. Um, you have to have PTSD, you have to have depression. And essentially that's why like all the, the psychedelic uh, research studies are set up that way. It's like, a, you know, you're about to die. You have end of life anxiety. Um, you have really severe depression and like, or you're addicted to something and, Psychedelics come in as the rescue medicine. Um, they don't have to be that. It doesn't have to be a fix to a problem. It can also be like a really beautiful, just kind of coming back to who you are, um, accessing your creativity, sometimes accessing your your joy, your interest in life, your connectedness to all things, your spirituality. Yeah. So just kind of getting out of the model a little bit that it has to be a... I'm snapping so hard to that, Nick. And it makes me think about how as a society, we're shifting our physical health into less perhaps reactive and more proactive, ideally. And I feel mm-hmm. that that's the same with our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Can it be a mm-hmm. bit proactive? Um, mm-hmm. And I think for everybody listening right now, just notice your body and notice if you feel a little bit of fear around the things that we're talking about. Notice if you feel a prickle of curiosity in in this really healthy way. And I, I feel like it deserves to be stated that psychedelics will call to you if and when the time is right. I've gone through seasons of my life where I didn't have any desire to do psychedelics at all. And then Mm. seasons where it came very strongly and I engaged in microdosing practices. So there are many different ways. And I feel like the best way in is to trust your body's knowing. So so let's think of ketamine as almost the primer, the, the clearing, the reset. Let's let's shift into psilocybin. If you two wouldn't mind talking about, you know, what what is this medicine and how does that differ from ketamine? So mushrooms, um, psilocybin containing mushrooms, often a lot more visual of an experience. Um, So shapes, images, imagery. And what's happening is we're also getting access to many different parts of our brain and that the information is kind of blending so sounds can become emotions pictures can have you know in your in your mind's eye can have a lot of deep meaning but the way that i see the mushrooms working kind of like as i described before as the dissolving of the the ego structure to gain access to deeper levels of your unconscious and what can happen is that as the mushrooms are efforting to dissolve the ego, the ego is efforting to um, not want to be dissolved. And there can be a little clash of energy there, which can present as I've seen it as like, when is this going to be over? How long is this going to take? Can you make this stop? And that's when there's a little bit of a, a clash. But if you're allow, if you come to a place where you're able to surrender to it and let the mushrooms 
do what they want to do. There's some really, really beautiful unfolding of access to your to your deeper self and your connectedness to to all things. And um, from that place, often a an ability to engage with parts of ourselves that might have been cast aside. And so that can look like, you know, expressions of grief that weren't able to be felt, expressions of fear that weren't previously able to be felt, expressions of joy and play and laughter that have not, you know, weren't able to be felt. We call that the golden shadow, things that are like the happy, joyful things that maybe haven't had ever been room for those. Um, so I'm talking at kind of a high level, but I'll pass it over to Claire to fill in some more. I think you said that really well. Yeah, the role of mushrooms in nature is decomposition. I love that movie, Fantastic Fungi. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Documentary uh, film about mushrooms and their their amazing capabilities in nature and in people. Yeah, they are meant to break things down in nature and in us that no longer need. And I think they do that excellently. The other thing that they're really good at is communication. So, you know, underground, they build these amazing mycelial networks and they're communicating between trees and passing information. And they do that um, in us too. Uh, So imagine like a brain on mushrooms. It's like all lit up, like all of the networks are firing and we just have this amazing ability to expand the mind and know more of what's happening in us and through us and for us. So um, it's an incredible tool and gift that we actually have from nature. I can't believe like this is a naturally occurring, you know, substance in, in nature. There is some history and kind of that, and Nick, maybe you can speak more to this. I feel like I'm going to jumble it a little bit, but um, you know, that probably a lot of what we learned in evolution and in nature was maybe from mushrooms and being able to go and kind of visit different plants in the jungle and find medicine there and new food sources and kind of being able to evolve as a culture. Some, you know, historians believe that some of that came through mushrooms. So thinking about like what that means for us now as well and um, like what we, where we are and kind of our own process of evolution as a human species and how these plants uh, hopefully will be helping us to tap into the greater collective consciousness that is here and available and actually advocating for our healing and our wholeness, um, you know, as human beings and then also with our planet, like um, in nature, like obviously we know kind of we're well aware of all of the suffering that is occurring, you know, now. And I think that's like my great hope is that some of these medicines will be able to provide some of that healing, the network effect. Yeah. Claire, what you're describing there is like the idea of those research that supports synaptogenesis as part of what mushrooms can do is like actually, you know, forming new synapses in the brain. And yeah, this theory that you know, early humans might have, you know, eaten mushrooms and that this kind of might have been a catalyst for the development of speech and language. Um, and then everything, you know, that comes with speech and language and the ability to communicate ideas and 
so who's to say that it's not also working now and, you know, creating greater consciousness that can help save the world. I always thought that it was a little bit hyperbolic to talk about like psychedelics, you know, healing the world or changing the world. And I still have a little bit of a reaction to that, but I'm kind of more on board now with like, if this really was like something that everyone had access to and all of our political leaders and people who are in charge of making really big decisions for the world, if they were coming from this place of like their essence and their truth and their highest self, that the world actually really would be a very different place. And Claire and I really promote this idea that when people come through our retreats, that, um, that there's a pollination effect, you know, that what they get from the experience is, is for them, but it also affects like the way that they're parenting and the way they're showing up as bosses at their work. And that kind of spreads and spreads and spreads. And that's like really a great power of the work. Huge. And I think that, Claire, you made such a beautiful comment around the suffering on this planet. You can't be an awake and aware human without feeling how much pain there is. And I think psychedelics have a beautiful way, psilocybin specifically, of getting you into your heart space. And I think that it can be very overwhelming and and easy to kind of like shut it down or just turn a blind eye. And for me, my experience with psilocybin is getting me back into my heart and recognizing that we each have a responsibility around the air that we're kind of like the the energetic frequency that we're putting out into the world. Mm. I feel like psilocybin has a beautiful way to breathe cleaner air and, and transmit cleaner air to others. Um, I think there's a beautiful quote in the fantastic fungi documentary. That's like, it's just a question. Like why does psilocybin fit the receptors in our brain? Why does that fit? And I think you can say the same with all psychedelics. It's just a really cool, cool thing. There's, yeah. there's a relationship there. Yeah. Totally. It's been around and for a long time. Yeah. It's amazing. And and it's like, if that perhaps was the jump that allowed humans to figure out how to speak, what's the next jump of recognizing what we're capable of and what the universe is made of? There was this beautiful moment um, at one of the retreats that I was with, with you all, somebody was taking psilocybin and I just saw as they sat up that they had these two little pools of tears where their their head was lying on their pillow. It was happy tears. And this person was just saying, I feel connected to it all. It's so big. It's so beautiful. And it's all love. And as cheesy mm-hmm. and as trite as that can sound, it's all love. When you feel that in your body, it is a profound experience. Yeah, it turns out all the Hallmark cards are true. <laughs> and all the, the great, you know, realizations of the world have already been said and they come off in like cheesy posters and bumper stickers. But like when you feel it, you're like, oh, yeah, it's it's out there so often because it's real. Yeah, yeah live, laugh, um, love. Really? Yeah, totally. That's it. <laughs> that simple. Um, I also, one of my like subtle criticisms of, you know, like how to change your mind and all a lot, like a lot of the stuff out there about psychedelics is that it does have the possibility to have these grand awakenings and connections to all things and feelings of like universal love. But it's also worth mentioning that it's not, that's not always everyone's experience and that sometimes there are a few different journeys before arriving at a place like that. It's another reason we really like the retreat models is it gives you a few different journeys in one week and it gives you a chance to kind of peel back layers 
And that if it doesn't happen for you, if you don't have like some grand catharsis or connection to the universe, that you haven't done it wrong, that you've just encountered the next layer in in your journey. So that's like something that we really want to get out there, that there's a process to this, that it's not like you snap your fingers and it happens, um, and that you're not doing it wrong if it is hard or challenging or even if you want it to be over in the middle of it, like that's okay too. Like that's, that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. Can you trust the intelligence of, yes. you know, the medicine working and giving you exactly what you need? Because the difficulty is actually so related to this euphoria and connectedness that perhaps what's mm-hmm. keeping you from feeling the connection to the universe and all things is what's coming up on this difficult, challenging trip. And journey. Absolutely. And those of us who've been in this work for a while have, you know, made the connection that it's not all about, you know, in and through just in the journey space is that what you're supposed to do is then learn that all the things that are challenging in your life are those moments of like, oh, this is the poorly wrapped gift for me, you know, that like, it's here to serve me. It's here to like, have me learn something. And I can think of really challenging, you know, parts of my marriage that were like really facilitated by this idea of like, okay, this is in and through, like, this is, this is my chance to actually do the thing that I preach is to like go towards the thing that's hard and like, see what can come out of the other end of it. And so we also really want to like advertise that, that, you know, this way that you work with the medicine is the way you're supposed to go out and work in your life too. Nick, you perfectly segued into one of the final questions I have for you too. How do you show up differently in work and in life, having worked yourself with psychedelics and also helping others experience these things? The answer to that is total reverence and awe. I always walk away from every journey that I've sat for and felt like, wow, there is such a vast range of experience here that is available and it informs the way that I live in that I know how much is possible here. I also feel deeply connected to the people that I have gotten to work with, not just in therapy, but in these other ways as well. And I, it's like this deep love forms that that also feels like a possibility in more parts of my life. For sure, it's made me a better human being, better mom, um, a better partner, better friend. Um, yeah, I'm just incredibly grateful. And I think it's still evolving. You know, um, I, I feel just awake to the ideas and possibilities um, and look forward to the ways that we'll get to work with this, you know, when it's legal, you know, everything's legal here. Um, in the coming years, Nick and I have been, you know, waiting for that too. And just <laughs> so grateful. It's like this feeling of acceptance of all things, the, the joys of life and the real, um, you know, euphoric moments of like what it's like to be alive and also the acceptance of like when things are difficult and annoying, frustrating and, there's just like a, there's a greater perspective that's there that um, I think just makes life a little bit easier. And of course I forget that sometimes and slip back into old patterns, but um, 
it feels a lot easier to come back to that place of, of acceptance and to my true nature of who I really am. And uh, I think that all of the psychedelic work that I've done has, has just been like, yeah, a training ground for how to do a little bit more intelligently. I love that you mentioned your marriage, Nick. I, I feel like my relationship has changed in such a dramatic way. Just taking psychedelics together between us and setting an intention for that journey. And I feel like I've been able to connect with my body and um, my heart space. And But I think it's something that you just have to experience for yourself. You know, it's the difference between reading a Hallmark card and then experiencing it somatically that kind of changes you. So is there anything else that you two would like to add in the final phase of this conversation? It's been amazing to have you two here. But is there anything that you want to, you know, people to come away from this conversation with? I'd like to reinforce something that you said is like that, that do you have the subtle curiosity or pull towards? And if so, great. But if you don't, that's also okay. Like, we do not want to come off as these people. It's like that, you know, everyone's got to try this. Like, it might not be right for you. And if that's what your intuition is saying, then like, trust that. And we also want to kind of reinforce that psychedelics, the ones we're talking about are so safe. You know, there's been this whole campaign in the like 50s, 60s, 70s of like how dangerous they were. And a lot of what was presented was actually just lies. And you can learn a lot about that in the Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind, if you want to learn some more. And say for us, preventing you from wanting to have an experience is the idea that you will go crazy or that your mind will be scrambled or um, that you'll become a drug addict, that you'll become addictive. Like these are physiologically remarkably safe. There are people all over the world taking these medicines all of the time. And have you ever heard about a birth defect or, uh, you know, like psychological problems, like they're very, very rare. And so just an advertisement for how safe they are and that they're not for everybody. If it's not for you, that is totally okay. One of my favorite teachers in the program, Bill Richards said, same, same summit, many paths. So like if dance is your path or if meditation is your path and that's bringing you to where you want to go, then great. This is just one of the ways. It's not the only way. Beautifully said, beautifully said, same summit, different path. Yeah. Just, I, I so trust the trauma and the trauma trained therapist in me deeply trusts uh, every, each individual's intuition around their healing path and, you know, that there are many ways and often research around this and just like paying attention to, you know, information that's coming towards you or seeking that out. Um, Nick and I are happy to be resources for people that want to learn more about this and um, are pursuing legal ways to, you know, seek out psychedelic therapy. If that is speaking to you in some way um, that you can listen. And if it's not, that that also is perfect, a perfect path. Beautiful. Yeah. That reminds me of just one other thing is that there are a lot of people out there doing this work as guides um, and they're coming at it from different angles. The angle that Claire and I come at it from is a little bit more like psychotherapeutic, um, but there are also shamanic, you know, practitioners that are a more indigenous um, approach. There's um, people who are just, you know, friends that like trip sit for you. 
there are ways to do this by yourself, um, which is only right for some people. And I think what Claire and I would want to get across is that there's also people out there that are like are not doing this with like in real integrity. And um, that can be really re-traumatizing or harmful um, to have someone who's coming from a place of like grandiosity or power or not knowing their own boundaries. Um, there's like, there is like sexual assault out there in this, in this field. And we don't want to like gloss over that. Claire and I really take a lot of pride in the integrity with which we do this work and um, want to celebrate the other people who are doing it with a lot of integrity as well. So again, trusting your intuition. Like if something feels off and you found a guy that was just the only person you knew about, keep looking, you know, and that's one of the, the things that Claire and I can help with is um, often, you know, we can just, you know, we know about the legal ways that you can do this work and kind of help direct you. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Nick. I hear a deep respect and reverence for doing this work um, mm-hmm. and recognizing that there's a lot of power in it and mm-hmm. trusting if something feels off. And I think another great sort of like marker just to, to pay, keep in mind is, is the work that I'm doing with this person bringing me back to my own power and bringing me mm-hmm. back to my own self and bringing me back mm-hmm. to my own intuition? And do I feel mm-hmm. like I'm leaving these feeling more empowered and, and more connected to myself? If you're giving your power away in any, in anything that you're doing, I feel like that's a big thing to keep in mind. Well, yeah. Well <laughs> Thank you both so, so much. Um, I have a feeling that this conversation is going to be expansive for folks and I'll include ways to get in touch with both of you in the show notes. And yeah, I just want to cheers you both on this continuing journey, doing the healing work and, and showing up. And I'm really excited for the next few years. Deep bow to Rick Doblin at MAPS and all the work that he's leading to bring legality to a lot of these medicines that we know have different properties that we didn't even discuss today. So Thank you. Thank you, Nadia.